Caregiving starts out, maybe you think you're going to have to do a few things, and it can become 24-7 very fast. And people lose it, you know. They just lose it. They're not equipped. That's the right way to say it. Well, those frustrations, the stresses of day-to-day responsibility for mom or for dad can feel overwhelming, and your resources are so limited, it seems. If you're in the position of caring for an aging loved one, uh, it's hard, but stay with us. We're going to have some hope and help for you on today's episode of Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President Jim Daly. Uh, John, last time we visited with Michelle Howe and Lisa Anderson and heard some of their stories about courageously providing care for aging family members who needed them in that moment. Uh, Both of these women are an inspiration. In Michelle's case, her husband James also played a big role in that caregiving. Uh, That responsibility can be all-consuming, and we probably all know stories like this, if not planned and managed well with a team of others. And we're going to provide that kind of help to you today on the program. And Michelle Howe is the author of more than 20 books, including the one that really is the foundation for our conversation today, Caring for Our Aging Parents, Lessons in Love, Loss, and Letting Go. She's also written over 2,500 articles and reviews in various publications. Lisa Anderson is the Director of Young Adults and the Boundless Ministry here at Focus on the Family. Michelle and Lisa, welcome back to Focus on the Family. So nice to be here. Well, listen, uh, Michelle, you mentioned uh, toward the end of the program last time about your father-in-law and that uh, it was different from the caregiving you provided your second cousin, actually your husband's second cousin, Bill, who lived as a neighbor nearby you. Mm -hmm. So get into that story. What happened with your father-in-law? How was it different from what took place with Bill? Kind of, in your own words, you kind of described it as uh, you didn't know enough with Bill to understand what you may have been able to do better. But with your father-in-law, it seemed that you took notes and you were able to attack that situation with greater clarity. What was that situation and what did you apply? Well, I still remember we were at a funeral for my husband's grandfather at a luncheon after the funeral and my father-in-law told the family that he was diagnosed with uh, esophageal cancer and only had months to live. Terminal. Terminal. And, uh, you know, it was just like, oh, wow, we're sitting at one funeral grieving one man's life whom we all loved. And here we get the news that another man we really love is dying. And there wasn't going to be no miracle cure. He was dying. So he lived five months from that date until uh-huh. he passed away. I think That it was had to be hard for him to even say that. But. Oh, I think so. I mean, I just, and it, my husband is very close, was very close to his dad. So that was, of course, traumatic for all of us. But I remember driving home the hour or so from that uh, funeral and just quietly praying and saying, you know, Lord, we've already done this once. We're going to be supportive. We're going to have a big role in Jim's life, you know, and we need to gather the troops, meaning the other two siblings of my husband's and uh, he and his wife were divorced and he had remarried, but both of those ex-wives helped too. It was great, but we kind of had to just take stock. But I remember laying in bed that first night and saying, Lord, I want to do this well. I don't want to make the same mistakes. I don't want all that icky emotion or guilt that I had with Bill just because I was naive or didn't know how to communicate properly to get more help. And I asked the Lord for a special gift of peace at night that we would sleep well because I knew those days were going to be emotional saying goodbye to him. Yeah. So I can remember sleeping every night really well. 
until he passed away and waking up every morning and feeling like that was a gift. But secondly, I now call really the privilege of having to take him to all his radiation treatments. And those were, I think, for six weeks, five times a week, every day. And I would pick him up. He had a trailer he was in. And we'd go to the hospital. And it was real quick. But I went to so many appointments with him. And we had such conversations. And the greatest thing of all was my father-in-law previously was like a depressed man for a lot of his life. But I saw God change him in his last months, which was a miracle. Uh So we had these wonderful conversations. And I look back now and I think... I knew for 30-some years, but those last five months, I thought we had such a bond, you know. And then I saw what God could do. Because, you know, when I was writing this book, it got depressing to me telling all these stories because they're hard. They're not easy to think about. But then, you know, at the very end of the book, I talk about, you know, God allows us to get old and die physically. And yet so many stories, people make, you know, restoration with their families. They make peace with the Lord. There's so many good things that happen in those last moments of life, those last months of life, because we're so needy. And I think there's a purpose for it. And I saw that in my father-in-law. He changed. I mean, we walked him out like to glory. It was miraculous. Yeah. Can I ask you this question, though, Michelle, for that person that, again, is living that? I'm sure hundreds, if not thousands of people may be in that spot right now, uh, especially in their 50s or 60s and their parents are dying if they've lived that long. How do you get over that uh, emotional trauma that this is going to be a big responsibility? What did you do practically? Read the Word, pray. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure those are aspects of it. But what practical tool could you suggest to a person who emotionally is struggling knowing this is going to be overwhelming? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the first things I did was talk to my husband and say, we're going to do it different this time. Yeah. So, and we need to really have a game plan that we're both good with, and he was all on board for that. So, a healthy attack mode. I yeah. like to think of it yeah. that way. Here's how we're going to attack mm-hmm. the problem. Right. So, but we be knew, aggressive with it. Yeah, we knew we would have to be proactive about everything, so mm-hmm. we weren't going to be uh, again. So, I talked to my husband, and we got the people who would help on board. Yeah. How about you and your husband in your relationship? Did you discuss how we're going to do this differently so we don't have the stress that we had? Yes, that was was all part of, I think, that attack mode. Yeah, okay. And I don't believe we had any stress or anything that second time around. Wow, interesting. Any at all. I mean, not from my point. If you ask him, he may say something different, but I don't think we did. Yeah. But I so wanted to do it right. I so wanted, like what you said, I wanted to usher my father-in-law into eternity the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, full go, mm-hmm. you know, and not have fear, not have anything. And I think we did. I think as a family, we did. Yes. Lisa, getting you in here, uh, again, as a single person doing that caregiving, you kind of had a dramatic role reversal, not that that related to your marital status, but just mm-hmm. being alone in that context or feeling alone. Uh, but that dramatic role reversal is, you know, your mom took care of you when you're a little girl. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden now, you're in that other role. You're the person feeding sometimes, I'm sure, and, mm-hmm. and taking care of other needs. Um, what did that feel like, and was it awkward? Yeah. I would say, in a way, mom having dementia helped in that sense because the role reversal was a bit gradual. So because the dementia was gradual, that idea of you know her being the one who was always asking about me, her you know being the one who was praying for me, there was a gradual loss of that. So I lost pieces of her in stages, which was very hard, but also helped it not be so jarring. Um, I would say one of the most helpful things for me that I 
initially probably didn't do as well, but I would definitely counsel other folks is constantly remind yourself that this is a season. Because mm-hmm. I think for me, I used to be I remember being that interesting, fun, single person who always was available, who could do fun things with my friends, who could do. And I had to say, for this season, and I don't know how long this season will be, I I need to let up on some responsibilities. So there were things I was involved in at church that I said, for this season, I'm going to have to back off of these. So the ability to say no. Right. The ability to say no and the ability to just back off and the ability to say, I'm not going to go on the vacations I've done. I'm not going to go for this season. I'm not going to be going out every weekend. I'm not going to be getting in that mindset was really helpful. But to be able to say, and to that point, Jim, I also want to encourage people who want to support caregivers. There are very practical, specific ways to do that, that you can jump into the fray and offer specific help that doesn't leave the caregiver in a position of saying, oh, can I make another ask? Can I put another need out there? Because we feel super awkward about doing that. But there are great ways to jump in proactively. Let me hit that role reversal. And then I've got something to ask you about the church in general. But the role reversal thing, um, when you're a parent of a child, uh, they may have an accident, fall on their bike, what have you. And you feel horrible as a parent because you didn't put the right protection around them. I mean, that happens, especially if you're raising boys. I've got enough stories like that where you, you have a little parental wince that you know, I probably shouldn't have let them play so close to whatever. I would think in the role reversal, you might have that sense of guilt as well, because I think even your mom, one of the stories that you've shared is that she got lost and I think stumbled and hurt herself. Mm-hmm. So you got the guilt factor of that, but you can't be there all the time. Right. Describe what happened to your mom and then how do you manage the acceptance that, you know, your elderly parents could be in some harm's way at times because you can't be there all the time. Yeah. Oh, I mean it was hard and and the anticipation of something going wrong. You know, that always had me on pins and needles because I was like, oh, everyone says she's going to have a fall or everyone says um she did. She actually um was in the care of someone else and got lost for over an hour at one point because they'd brought her to a meeting at church and she just got up and like walked out without them noticing. And so she ended up crossing a couple streets. I mean, it was really scary. Um but then she had a couple falls. Now, one funny story with one of her falls is whenever mom fell and she She fell very few times. I was really grateful for that. But um, she did not break any bones. She did. I mean, for people that are like full on breaking hips and stuff, mom did not break bones, but she could not then get herself back up again. So I learned about this amazing thing called lift assist where you call and firemen come in. And Jim, I'm not even kidding. These firemen, four firemen showed Just up. Boom. They looked like they stepped off a calendar. I'm not even kidding. And it was mom's you best day. It, it was mom's best day in several weeks. She clearly, she and I were in competition on this. But the fireman, this precious guy got her up off the floor and said, Dorothy, how are you feeling? And she said, I feel wonderful. And leaned into him and gave him a little hug. And so that was just a bright spot. So, so we laughed about that. And um, But it is, I mean, that role reversal is tricky because you have to say, you know, you have so many fears about what could happen and you just have to realize that, you know, ultimately, and it's just like parents with kids, God's the keeper of mom. Mm -hmm. God's the keeper. He knows her days. He has her, you know, and I can't constantly berate myself or beat myself up or be fearful about what could happen because we don't know what will right. happen. And Michelle, the, the question I wanted to ask about the church is, you know, having the experiences that you've had, and Lisa certainly jump in here too, what can a church do to provide help to the caregiver or to be the help? 
You know, one thing I know our church has just started is like a whole care network. And I was looking at it when we were on our way out here where they're helping with elderly, with, you know, people who've had abortions, with single moms, people who are divorced, kind of under categories where the first thing is, do you need to talk to somebody? Right. And I love that. Yeah. So they're gathering people who are experienced in each one of these areas. And then it's like a crisis hotline. And then they have a whole another area where their practical helps. And for each area, it's going to be different. Yeah. But I think overall, I, I don't really think churches are doing enough. But you know what? We're all private, too. And I don't think we didn't ask for help when we were going with, through with the bill. I look at all my friends and what givers they are, and they're all exhausted, and they're so busy. I didn't want to ask my friends for help. So you have that dichotomy of you don't want to ask because everyone's stressed out. Everyone's yeah. already mm -hmm. at their limit because they're great people. Mm -hmm. They're already sure. servants. But, you know, the church as a function, if we can identify those people who are, like Lisa said, really great with the elderly and love elderly, mm -hmm. make that a new ministry. Right. Yeah. Well, let me take a little bit of the load off of the pastor. You know, those of us sitting in the pews, if we feel the need is there, go and talk to the pastor about right. doing it. Yeah. Right. Don't just lay it at their feet to say, hey, can you do this, pastor? Because mm -hmm. they're already doing a ton of stuff, too. Yeah. And it would be good if you have an idea that the Lord is pushing you in that direction. Yeah. Start an outreach. And don't wait for the caregiver to ask for help because a lot of times, like Michelle said, they won't. They either don't know how to ask for help or they feel bad about asking for help. I mean, Jim, I have a couple really practical suggestions. One, I mean, first off is the average person who wants to help is going to think that they don't have the skills or the ability necessary to so do that. So you feel under-equipped. You feel under-equipped. You feel like, I don't really know what to do with this person. Mm -hmm. I always would tell my friends when they would come and sit with mom for a night so I could go out and do something... I always told them, if by the end of the evening you have kept her alive, you have succeeded. This isn't about coming in with some massive entertainment program and being awesome and providing medical care and all that. Mm -hmm. This is just sitting with her, providing a safe space for her, maybe helping her with some basic needs and giving me a break. It is not about being some kind of professional, okay? So you got to first lay the ground rules of just saying, you know, set the expectations and let these people know that you are doing me a great service by being here. Um, folks that want to be proactive about stuff, um, offering up a time, especially a consistent time, even if it's a small amount of time. If you say to a caregiver, I have a couple hours every other Saturday that I would love to come and sit with your parent, your loved one, so you can go run a few errands. Let's start putting these on the calendar. Offering The worst wow, thing you can yeah. do is say, yeah, let me know whenever you need help. That is super vague and frustrating. And they'll never follow up. <laughs> they'll on never it. follow up yeah. with you. You offer a time off of your calendar what you can do, and you say, I will be there. Let's put this on the calendar. Giving them gift cards so they don't have to cook, especially to just order out food uh, for mm -hmm. restaurants, whatever, when they just you know come home and they're frazzled, they can't handle anything. Um, super helpful. Offering to take the person, uh, like Michelle said, to appointments, especially if the loved one has a lot of medical appointments, to be an advocate for them, to take notes in their appointments, to drive them if they have treatments that they need to do, um, to go in and clean someone's house. And again, this is another, you don't say like, hey, do you need some cleaning? 
Like, who wants to admit to that? You know, you just say, <laughs> get out of your house on a Saturday. I had coworkers do this for me. Get out of your house on this Saturday. We will come in. We will clean your house. You go do what you want and then show back up and your house wow. will be clean. That's that is very specific. It is very, and it doesn't put me in the position of saying, oh yeah, I want you to do, you know, X, Y, Z and be able to help me with that. So, and those um, are coworkers here from Focus. Absolutely. I'm so proud of them. Because they're amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was actually just fabulous when people had very specific ideas with specific times, specific dates, specific needs, and they just offered them rather than asking me to kind of be the one to initiate that. Yeah, those are great ideas. Hey, let's get to some other practical aspects of this, finances. That can be an issue. Um, I'm not sure, Michelle, in your situation with Bill, maybe with your father-in-law, it was a little more clear. But how do you dig into that? How do you figure out how much do they have? Because I'm sure when they're healthy and in a good position, they're not sitting with you having coffee on a Saturday morning saying, you know, if something should happen to me, here's my insurance plan and it's going to cover this. We just don't talk about that stuff like that. And very few people prepare an envelope for their relatives to open in the event that they're not capable mentally or any other way. So how do you broach that subject? How do you get into it? What are the right questions to ask? Well, with Bill, it became apparent fairly quickly after he got sick that we were taking over writing his bills. So I remember one, he drove me up and it wasn't the safest ride I've ever had in a car to his bank. And he put me on his checking and savings account so I could write his checks out. So that's a good first start. That's a good first start. And he made my husband the executor. So my husband could make all the decisions. He took over, which we did that. Now, we didn't do it immediately, but it looked like his health was going downhill and he was going to need more and more assistance. Right. And he had no one else. So he put us on. So that was wise because it saved us a lot of trouble and a lot of legal heartache, which people aren't even aware of. And I don't even know all of it because my husband handled it. You know, just to know how do you handle the having a will in place and, you know, so things don't just go to the state and all your money is lost and there's no inheritance or whatever. But, you know, it just taking over, it is hard. But, you know, Bill trusted us and we became his, kind of his caregivers. Sure. So we were the people and we just yeah. said yes and we did it. And I think it's a, a good step, but you know, it depends on the family because some families do not like to talk about finances. Right. And some of the people I've interviewed, and I even mentioned one gal in the book, I mean, she would drive 50 miles one way to see her parents and she was a single mom and didn't have any money. And she was afraid to ask for gas money until a wise friend said to her, listen, if you don't ask, you're going to be embittered against your parents and you're probably going to stop doing it. Mm -hmm. Or you're just going to be charging it and you're going in debt. So she made herself have the hard conversation, yeah. which they surprised her by saying yes. You know, and it doesn't always go that way, right. but it did. Well, in some cases, there may not be a lot there. Uh, at least in the case of your mom, they were missionaries and your dad was a pastor. Yeah. So how did that unfold for you? Are these discussions that you and your mom had, were you already aware of their financial situation? Yeah. And it was actually her financial situation that precipitated me having the conversation about moving her in because the money was running out. And so it was, she would not have been able to sustain uh -huh. living in this place for much longer. And then it becomes an issue of she has to get moved to a state facility where she would get state support. And that's another move. It's another transition, very jarring and sometimes not the best care. So I would say in addition to what Michelle said about figuring out, yeah, the parents or the loved one's finances and getting, you know, get that power of attorney set up, get that medical proxy set up so you know that you can step in, make decisions as you need to. And then finally, and this is just a word to the church as well um, to have conversations around this. 
my church really blew me away because they put me in contact with my deacon, who I knew. So my church has a very specific structure of deacons and elders. And the deacons came around me and said, what do you need from us? What can we do as far as practical help, practical support to stand by you as a church and get you? And there were, you know, it turns out that one of the deacons was a financial planner. So he helped us look through some of the bills and some of the ways of structuring things. So they jumped in and took on some roles that really became supportive and helpful, even to the point of near the end of mom's life saying, uh, we're going to give you a certain amount of money each month so that you can pay for some additional caregiving. And so the church just took that on as part of their, you know, of their ministry of support. And it was huge. And um, I did have to have the conversation finally uh, getting back to family when uh, for the last month and a half of mom's life, I had to move her into um, a hospice environment in a memory care place because she'd lost her mobility. And I had to have the conversation with all my siblings about this is a huge cost uh, monthly. We're going to have to divvy it up, you guys. And we had to sit down and have the hard conversation of this. We literally, you are just going to have to like, you know, however you have to make this work, you have to make it work. And it was a very hard conversation and it was a sacrifice for everyone. But um, we had the conversation and got it done. Boy, that is really practical, all of that. Let me end with this question and we're running out of time. When you look back on all that you've experienced spiritually, what have you gained? So much. I mean, so much. And Lisa said it earlier, where God was having her in situations that she not necessarily would want to be in, learning things she didn't necessarily want to learn. That's me. I mean, I'm really independent. And so watching two people you care about literally just just become more dependent was a lot of weight on my uh, mind and my heart because I thought that's you someday you know and I have to deal with it and I have to face it and it was a little scary and it you know I think a lot of times people don't want to think about the elderly because they see themselves there in 20 years right so we're like we're scared I mean it's hard and I remember a quote many years ago you know it, it talks about Jesus giving us everything we need in every season of life but as we get older and older he's going to be all we need when everything else is is gone that's we have it. nothing left but he'll be enough yeah and when he's everything we need it's enough yeah it's good so i always think about that he's enough you're my enough lord and uh, again watching my father-in-law those last months i'll never forget what god can do in somebody's life when they turn to him when they're in you know a state of suffering and you know, when their back's dying, up against the wall. When their back is up against the wall, That's yeah. exactly right. Lisa? Yeah, I mean, just straight up, it taught me how to trust God. I mean, I, <laughs> as if I didn't have enough fears in my own life, the fear of dying and fear of end of life, like, you know, again, it used to be generations ago, people died relatively early because something took you out. And now it's like people are living longer. And the feelings, especially being single around dying alone, not having someone there to care for me, not having, you know, feeling abandoned or whatever, it just was such a reminder to me of God is there. God will be there. I have a future that, you know, this is not my home. This is not my final destination. And, um, you know, I even had regrets. I mean, mom's last night, I had been with her the last couple days, I knew she was dying. And I went home to sleep because I was like, if she lives through the night, I need to come back tomorrow. 
Well, I got the call early morning that she had passed away, and I had so many regrets initially of, I should have sat with her through the night. I should have held her hand. I should have sung to her. I should have. And one of my dear friends said to me, Lisa, the one person who was with her, who needed to be with her, was God himself. And he was there. And if you needed to be there, he would have made sure that you were there. And that was just so helpful to me to let go and to be like, not only is that mom's story, and she's with Jesus now, and she's exactly where she needs to be, but that'll be my story someday Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And God's going to give me exactly what I need. It'll probably come in the form of human help and human care and love because God loves to do that. But ultimately, um, my hope is in God alone. You know, that's what he's going to take me home. He's my comforter, my provider, my advocate. um, And so I can just rest in him. Lisa Anderson and Michelle Howe have really opened up with us these past couple of days about their caregiving experiences, and it really is good to contemplate and to embrace what that journey looks like, and they really have helped us do that well. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. I really loved hearing Lisa saying that the church jumped in as a part of their ministry and offered practical assistance and then even some financial assistance when her elderly mom really needed it. That is a beautiful illustration of the church performing those vital roles that Jesus spoke about when he was on earth. And then both ladies articulated so well how the experience of caring for their elderly loved ones in fact drew them closer to God and the realization that he is our greatest help and hope and we can rest in him. Michelle's book is incredibly helpful for those who are looking for guidance in caring for their family members. It's called Caring for Our Aging Parents, and it offers real-life stories of individuals who have found positive and life-affirming methods to communicating respectfully and lovingly to their aged parents. And readers will also be heartened to find practical suggestions for mending broken relationships and gaining new ground with their parents, even when their past has been checkered by pain and difficulty. You'll find this fantastic resource on our website at safamily.co.za or you can give us a call on 031-716-3300. Thanks for tuning in to today's Focus on the Family. I'm Graham Schnell inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.